The Youthscape Podcast. We have been doing the Youthscape Podcast for nearly two years. Nearly two years. Rachel Gardner. We have been doing this for nearly two years. And um, hello, by the way, welcome. Welcome. And um, and and we've never really done a sex episode. Have have we not? How have we not done that? And I think, given that so much of your life, work, and career is about talking about, has been given over to this subject. How have we never done a sex episode? I think it's because I'm massively repressed and I've been (laughs) avoiding it the whole time. And I've been running a mile and we can run... you wear t-shirts underneath that jumper of yours. Don't talk about sex! Let's not talk about sex. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I think, I feel that we do quite a lot. I mean, it has come up in other things, but we've never had, we've never had a whole... Session. We've never, this is going to be... This is going to be I'm, tricky. I'm happy with this. You I'm are above innuendo, I think. I'm, I'm not. Approach, I am yeah. going to be tittering like a schoolboy throughout <laughs> the next hour. But we have a great guest. So just to trail her now, yes. we have a psychosexual therapist, Emma Waring, yes. on the show today. Um, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about... Mm. I mean, people might not know. Mm. So let's do... Because let's do, this, this was... I, uh, you know, I'm not joking... This was a massive part of your life and career. It was. So, uh, for those who don't know, Rachel, yes, um, tell us about your life as a sex worker. Well, oh my goodness, Martin, low blow. Um, no, the ten year, or no, more than ten years ago now, I yeah. was involved in a documentary called No Sex Please with Teenagers. That's right. Um, based in North London, it was very quick potted history. The Silver Ring thing, abstinence-only movement, mm. had come to the UK, done a bit of a tour. Apparently, I don't know this, but apparently had returned home early. There wasn't enough take-up from churches for this. And somebody from a media company called Zad Rogers, not a Christian guy, found out about this and thought, well, what are British Christians talking to their kids about if the Silver Ring thing doesn't do very well in the UK? So he did a little bit of research and, and came across myself and a guy called Dan Burke, who I was working with, and, and basically gave us the idea and said, we want you to, to tell us on national TV, get some Christian kids, talk to them about sex, and you want to film it. And Dan and I thought, ugh, that sounds like the worst recipe for disaster. Mm. But how about if we don't talk to Christian kids, we find completely unchurched young people, um, and we take them through a programme that is kind of broadly Judeo-Christian in terms of its approach to sex and relationships. Um, and they said, yeah, we'll go for that. So we, we start, we did a documentary and we called the project The Romance Academy and the documentary is called No Sex Please With Teenagers. And it was a very simple idea. Mm. For 15 to 17 year olds, we encouraged them to delay sexual activity while on the duration of this course and just to see if there was any benefit as a teenager not being sexually active. Mm. And it just went from there really and of course you can still get it you still get it through the Youthscape store you can actually I think there's some little clips on YouTube as well so it's BBC2 and you can see and you look clips. about 15 I do I'm wearing parachute pants oh and yeah have no like um, kind of crow's lines on my face but it was a really interesting programme we had six North London teenage boys six girls and it was a very much a kind of a Alcoholics Anonymous type programme um, and we just coached them for nine months through mm. what would it take in the 21st century as a teenager to say no to sexual activity and what does that mean? So when was that? 
Oh, it was back at oh beginning of 2000s, wow. wasn't it? Wow, it's like 15 years ago. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's terrifying, isn't it? Long time ago. But I think this has got to still be, for most youth leaders, this is going to be one of the big mm. pressing questions. Mm. How do you talk to young people about mm. sex? I guess the subtext, how do you stop young people from mm. having sex with each other? Mm. Or at least making really yes. bad decisions yes. about relationships yes and I think still even though this is like 15 18 years since the program happened I'm st- I still see in UK church scene that that churches and youth work either adopts a, a disaster model or a flourishing model or a kind of mm. pornification model mm. so the disaster model is ah the young people are now talking about sex oh my goodness this is awful you've got to talk to them about relationships it's a real panic driven fear driven mm. Mm. and the youth worker is a kind of the moral guardian of the young person's purity and that kind of stuff the the pornification model is well they're going to be having sex they're seeing lots of sex kind of we just need to help them do it safely we kind of got to help them navigate this in a way that is like you know they're going to be okay so it's kind of accepting that culture has shifted so far that all we can expect is x y and z the flourishing model in the middle says well our goal is for each young person to flourish physically sexually emotionally spiritually Mm. so what would it take for this young person in this setting to know freedom and to be Mm. free from obsession about relationships to be free from shame about sexual guilt to be free from um, coercion from manipulation and to be free to know that they have the right and the power to make godly choices and and know the love and support of the community. So the flourishing model, I think I'm, I get really excited about yeah. that. Um, and I think we all on our best days yeah. would like to be there, wouldn't we? And but we probably are a mixture of all three, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. But you think probably your average, even podcast listeners, amongst the most enlightened youth leaders in our land, yeah. even the idea, still the idea of doing the sex talk yeah. or, or talking about sex as part of your programme uh, still fills you slightly with... If not dread, fear, fear that you're going to get it wrong. Yes. Um, and, and I say that as somebody who, um, you know, not, not like one to talk about my own story, obviously. But, um, but, but, but like growing up, two things are true. One, I didn't have sex until I was married. Mm-hmm. And two, I heard some pretty awful teaching on sex outside of marriage which probably got me to that place yes for the fear so i probably didn't have sex before marriage because i was terrified Mm. of what would happen and how god would feel and what that would mean for my relationship with him so it's like the right outcome for the wrong reasons now the pragmatists out there have probably thought that was defensible for some time but i don't think we're there anymore so we are slightly scared like we don't want to mess our kids Mm. up we don't want this lunacy about soul ties mm, uh, you know like yes. dodgy theology about like you know what, what the shame that's created we don't want any of that yeah um but we also want our young people to really you know it's the hindsight thing of not getting to you know later in life and thinking i wish i hadn't i wish i hadn't done that yes i wish i hadn't done those things or for many couples and i think this is the experience that jason and i've had on and off throughout our marriage as well that sense of actually this is more complicated and it's quite difficult and we thought that if we didn't have sex for marriage sex after marriage would be really easy mm. and that's not the case and there's huge numbers of christian couples who really struggle with sexual intimacy after marriage and emma and that that's where emma comes in and so emma is not a youth worker she doesn't say she says i don't know nothing about youth ministry she's a mum of, of young children but but her whole thing is that she is constantly meeting young couples lots of them are christian young couples who have deep difficulties with their communication with their emotional intimacy with their sexual intimacy and and i think 
because of that, and she's seeing patterns all the time, she's written a book about seasons of intimacy as a way of saying, as a church, we've got to be talking about sex, not because we want people to be not doing certain things, but because we want people to be actually really enjoying certain things. There's a real flipping it on its head. Yeah, and I think, yeah. and I really like her approach. Um, because I do think that still as youth workers, we do think that if we do a session on sex, somehow there's something inherently damaging about that. Mm. And, and our job is to try and make it not damaging. Mm. Whereas if we mm. said, no, actually sex isn't damaging, of course how people can experience sexual abuse and manipulation, creation, of course can be utterly damaging. But God's gift of sexual intimacy is the most beautiful, powerful thing. And actually we need to speak about it from that point with all the awareness and the mindfulness and the kindness and the gentleness about that and I like that about her books there's some really good wisdom in here but but the lovely thing about it is that I said to her because um, <laughs> I was running out of time to do the recording and I sent her this awful text late on like the Wednesday night I was recording on Thursday morning saying Emma I don't know where we're going to do this maybe we could just meet in, in a park in London and we could just sit on a bench and I could just record you and then I sent it and then she came back saying well well, why don't we meet um, probably better in my offices <laughs> let's meet at the Shard so we meet at the Aww. Shard and I suddenly thought I've just said to this woman come and talk to me about sex on a bench in a park and she rightly said, no, I think it needs to have a better space than that. So she was also helping me remember. Is that because that's how you've had? <laughs> Is that where you've had a lot of those deep and meaningful conversations with young people? Well, actually, I have done lots of sex ed in parks because for many years, I was getting so cross about how our RSE lessons in school classrooms was not making any difference to some of the girls I was working with. So I said to a school, can I take this group of girls? Can we go to the park where they end up giving guys blowjobs? And can I do the same session there with them? And they said, yes. And it changed stuff. Because I simply said, what is it about this space where all that power I'm seeing in the classroom is just not played out here? Talk to me about what it would look like for you to say no here. Let's talk about that. And that was, it it changed things. For this particular amazing group of girls, it was Mm. what they needed to to be empowered so when they saw the bin and they saw the bench they remembered they are powerful you continue to amaze me no these these girls are amazing sex ed in parks sex ed in parks it's it's important get Mm. posts up in parks like anyway anyway should we do the interview let's do the interview because I'm so excited let's do the interview (laughs) this is Emma Waring not in a park in the shard but in the shard in her office in the shard very close well actually no it's next to the shard actually it's not actually in the shard Always telling the truth, aren't you? Always ruining everything with the truth. Here's Emma Waring. The Youthscape Podcast! So, um, I'm sat here with a psychosexual therapist. What do you bring when you come and visit a psychosexual therapist? I've brought Lola's cupcakes. Emma, here we go. In this bag, it's a little Thank box. You. And in the little box are even tinier cupcakes. I mean, it's one of those where it's like, it looks like I've given you a big present, but look how tiny they are in it there. It doesn't get better than this. This <laughs> so is the highlight of my week. Thank oh, that's you. amazing. So, we are sat overlooking the shard. I have to say that because this just feels so lovely. And we're sat in your office and you are a psychosexual nurse therapist can you quickly tell us what does that mean yes so my background is in nursing and um, I worked in cardiac rehabilitation so that was helping people after a heart event Mm. and part of my role was talking about sex was sex safe and um, when could you have sex after heart surgery or after a heart attack and then I um, set up and ran a clinic for male cardiac patients with erection problems 
um, which sounds funny, but there is actually a strong link between the two. And then I realised that actually I needed additional training. So I mm. did a two-year postgrad diploma in psychosexual therapy. And so what I've done is I've combined my nursing role, which is understanding how the body works and different things that affect how the body works, illness, medication, etc., with a therapy role. So understanding um, the emotional part uh, mm. that's linked with sex and the relational part sort of I've combined the two absolutely and you're speaking now in this podcast to an audience of youth workers who absolutely that emotional element of sex that relational element that is absolutely our sphere yeah. because we find so often that young people are telling us because of pornography because of the stuff they see online they know a bit more about the mechanics well yeah. not always actually often there's a lot of myths yeah um, but actually it's the emotional aspect of relationships it's kind of interaction that young people feel so high and dry left alone with this so you're not a youth worker but the reason I've come to chat to you is I think so often as youth workers we are kind of having to be all things to all people and I really want to hear some of your wisdom to help us think how do we help have those conversations with young people so are you ready listeners because I think we might use words like vagina vulva penis penile erection all that kind of stuff I've got your book here I mean it is littered with the most juicy words so let's start with your book so you've just written a book called Seasons of Sex and Intimacy. What is this book about? So this book is a book um, that I've written primarily for Christian couples, but actually, because it's a very, very practical book, it would be relevant for anyone, if you didn't have a faith or you had another faith. And the first half of the book is looking at um, how do we make sex good Hmm. within a relationship? How do we have really good communication? How do we understand how our bodies work? How do we understand about arousal and what makes sex good? And what are some of the barriers to that? And then the second half of the book is how do we manage sexual problems? Because sexual problems are really common, but we don't really talk about it. So people feel very lonely and isolated if they're struggling with sex. And the reason that I use the title Seasons is I talk about the fact that actually we move through seasons um, through our lives when we think about sex. Um, and actually the thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to get to winter Um, when it's cold and we're isolated and we're not having um, sexual intimacy or indeed emotional intimacy with our partner so we want to be aware of the things that can come in the way of that some warning signs um, and to be able to understand that sex does move through seasons as we face different things Mm. in our lives and that's really normal but we don't want to get to a stage where a couple is stuck unsure what to do Um, unable to discuss it with anyone um, and then distance can then Mm. form in the relationship do you do you find that that christian couples young people who have grown up through church teaching around saving sex for marriage valuing celibacy chastity are we more vulnerable to sexual struggles in in later life i really think that we are and i think I was unsure whether to write a secular book Mm. um, or whether actually to focus the book on Christian couples and I decided that was where my passion lay because actually I do think we are a vulnerable group. I think that there are lots of things that can affect and impact how we think about sex and understand sex and it may be that we've grown up in a family where sex was never talked about and that in its own way gives us a message Mm. that it's not okay. It may be that it was talked about and there was a sort of element of shame. 
um, it may be that we grew up in a family and it was talked about and celebrated. So it can be all number of scenarios. But yes, in my experience, when I've met with Christian couples, they are un often unsure where to turn. They understand that sex is celebrated in marriage. Um, and indeed, we think about that when we think about marriage courses and marriage preparation courses. But actually, if you're stuck, you don't, they didn't know where to turn. Mm. And, there, and there wasn't a, really an up-to-date book out there mm. to address this specifically. And as a Christian myself, I also wanted to write the book acknowledging that we believe in a God that is bigger than us, mm. that is bigger than our struggles, a God that never shames us, that we can talk to about these things. Um, and who actually really wants us to celebrate our bodies. Um, he created us, he created sex, and um, so, so I wanted to bring all those things together, mm. whilst also making the book very, very practical. Wonderful. Um, oh, that's wonderful. So, as you focus, we are working with young people who are not married. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there might be some of us who work with young people who are married, who are very, very young, but on the whole, and, and seeing the, um, the research and the stats out recently, we're working with the generation of young people who, so the, the, the wisdom goes, are having less sexual activity. Now, when I first read that stat, I was like, oh, that's both good, because I think it means there's less unplanned pregnancy, there's less uh, spreading of sexually transmitted infections, less regret, hopefully less coercion. But also on the other hand, I was thinking, but what's the reason for that? Maybe it's because young people struggle with intimacy and kind of connection. So we're working with young people who are forming their ideas of sex and intimacy. So from your perspective, when you look at youth culture, and we're looking at a group who are also very vulnerable to struggles around this, what do you see as the red flags? What yeah. concerns you with how this generation of young people are being presented with sex and intimacy? Well, it's interesting that you talk about young people having less sex, and, and um, I was recently interviewed for a, a, an article about the fact that, that um, young married couples are also having less sex. So there's something going on. Um, it was focusing on the millennial generation. Mm. Um, and I'm certainly aware that in my practice over the last 10 years, I'm working with young married couples where sex is right at the bottom of their to-do list. So something, it feels like something is going on and something has changed. I definitely think that pornography plays a huge part, uh, part with that, but I think actually it's something deeper than that. So when people ask me, look, what's the most important thing about creating good sexual intimacy? It is without a doubt communication. Our ability to share our deepest emotions with our partners, our fears, our hopes, what we're struggling with, what we desire, what they might desire, how we work out difference. So having a shared language where we can talk about this stuff. And I think that one of the reasons that this is proving difficult for, for young people and, and young married uh, couples is because they've grown up communicating in, in, a, in a different way. So they've had social media, they've had mobile phones. When I grew up, I didn't have a mobile phone. Um, and my conversations were over a, um, a Coca-Cola in, in the cafe with my friends, hours and hours. And w I would look into their faces, I would look in, uh, into their eyes, I would watch their body language. Um, we would lean in, we would get excited about things, we would read each other. And I think that young people are communicating, they're communicating just as much, in fact they're communicating more, but the, the style and the way they're communicating is very, very different. 
Um, so they're connecting, but in a way they're not necessarily having to read another person in the way they're doing that. Um, and I, so I think it's making conversations around sex, for example, with say a young married couple, um, potentially more difficult because because they are not necessarily used to having that level of intimacy. Mm. Mm. Um, so I think it actually comes back to communication. Mm. That's so interesting, isn't it? I, and as you were speaking, I was thinking, there's a report that's come out. Um, I can't, I'll, I'll see if I can find it, lovely listeners, and, and talk about it at the end of the, of the podcast. But they talk about young people's experiences of flirting online, yeah. and they say they feel safer flirting online than face-to-face. And yet I was thinking that's almost... Um, a, a juxtaposition isn't it because actually genuinely sharing yourself requires vulnerability you, yeah. you kind of look into the eyes of the other person decide whether they've accepted you or rejected you now how does how do emojis play a role you know that's yeah. just really interesting the role of, of vulnerability in true communication yeah. so how can we as youth workers who who we do believe that sex is a wonderful gift from god that we're created for intimacy and deep relationship we're also very aware that boundaries are good and we have the parents of our Christian kids kind of wanting us to say certain things and the church leadership and we want the best for our young people. How, how do, how, what could we do to try and preempt some of this stuff, to try and help the conversations to happen, the communication to happen? What would be your input for us for that? It's a so, biggie. <laughs> yeah, it is a biggie. Um, and I'm not sure I've got all the answers. I think it's a work in progress as, as we think about these things. But I think youth workers have a really important role to play in actually having face-to-face contact with wow. young people. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about, you know, emojis don't quite relay the, 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 you know, the same sense of emotions, but actually if we're talking to, to, to young people and they blush, mm. you know, that tells us a lot about the fact that they may be feeling very vulnerable, they may be feeling shame, they may be feeling very uncomfortable. Um, I think that it's really good if we can model face-to-face discussions and also the fact sex is not an easy subject to talk about. Um, it really isn't and that will, that will be harder for people if they've grown up in a family where sex isn't talked about or it's talked about in a shameful way. So I think that youth workers have a role in terms of sitting with people and looking at their faces and watching their body language and 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 the young person is doing that back and actually the youth worker can say oh you know I remember when I was 14 15 mm, and empathy, yeah. yeah and and actually had a really uncomfortable conversation with my parents or really uncomfortable conversation at a church youth group and share their own experiences model vulnerability and then it will come back mm. um, so I think it's very simple in a way it's just creating a space where we can have really good we can re- we can model really good deep and intimate conversation mm. which is actually the very foundation of what is important when you move into a sexual relationship with a partner mm. now that's really helpful Emma, because I think what you've done there is reminded us that that having the sex talk with young people which I hate by the way we don't have the sex talk we have mm-hmm. ongoing conversations yeah. but it's it's actually the focus shouldn't simply be on, on what is it we talk about are, are, are the kids getting the curriculum kind of yeah. thing but actually modeling communication a safe space I mean that and that is what these wonderful listeners are doing all the time and I think sometimes we forget as youth workers that by by doing the very thing we naturally do 
we're actually building resilience into yeah. young people and helping them then get to a space where they can look at, oh, what are my boundaries going to be and what is yeah. my practice going to be and what am I going to say yes to and no to and why? But way before that happens, yeah. young people need to be, feel safe and secure and certain that this is going to be okay. Otherwise, yeah. you'll, you'll be presenting all this stuff to young people who have completely got the visors down and, and they're batting down and they just don't want to listen. Yeah. Um, I love that thing about the blush. I often say to young people... Um, we're going to have a conversation now and we're going to feel a little bit maybe just hot on our hands. And I talk about how this might feel. I say, that's okay, actually, because we're not talking about eating a burger. We're talking about something that is really sensitive and precious and powerful. So in a way, I want you to feel really good about yourself if you feel a bit... So um, one of the things I think as youth workers we, we're very cautious of and aware of is that young people use all kinds of language, all kinds of slang language to talk about sex. And one of the classic sort of opening things is we get young people to write down every word they can think of to do with sex and then to circle the ones that are offensive, the ones they're comfortable using, the ones that they're not comfortable using. Um, what would be your advice about how we as youth workers use language should we be using vulva vagina penis should we be using wank or masturbate like how how do we get the language right what do you think i think this is so so important because if we're not careful we can inadvertently shame people and we don't intend to but that can be the um that can be the result so during my training i was uh told that clients would come in patients would come in and they would have all different words for body parts, um, uh, for masturbating, etc. And the advice was that if somebody uses a slang term, I repeat that back to them, and then I clarify it with a medical term. Right. Um, so, and that was really helpful because I'm not shaming the person; I'm repeating it back, and I'm just asking for clarity. When you say that, can I just clarify that you mean masturbate? And they would say, oh, yes, I do. And then I would continue Mm. with the term masturbate. Mm. Because what I'm doing is I'm using a a medical term, if you like. And actually, it's strange, but that often makes people feel really comfortable. It's more neutral, isn't it? It's It's, not loaded. It's it's much more Mm. neutral. It's a sort of generic term that will be used across the board in in, um, medical language, Mm. if you like. And it's amazing that actually, if you do that, it's surprisingly comfortable for people. The key is just to, to repeat the word back that the, that the young person has said to you. Mm. So when you say that term, do you mean penis? Great, okay. So yeah, when we touch our penis, mm. and then we can continue to That's use... That's so helpful, term. Emma, because I was thinking actually often, with particularly in the youth culture, a number of the words would be quite loaded around gender bias. So yeah. either the way that sex is expressed is basically gang rape, isn't it? The way yeah. that some young people might talk about sex isn't simply the biological, the penis, yeah. the vagina, or whatever. It is actually it comes into the connotations. That's very helpful. So I suppose as, as youth workers, we need to be quite comfortable then yeah. being able to say, when you say, yes. do you mean brilliant? And, yeah. and I think that I suppose that comes with practice, doesn't it? A sense of us yes. feeling comfortable with our own bodies, yes. us feeling comfortable with these words yeah. um, as well. Getting hold of your book, using yes. your book. I mean, I, I think when I, um, when I was uh, running the um, cardiac rehab programme, I did a dissertation looking at whether as nurses we provide enough information to patients and partners on sex after a heart event. And what the research showed was that actually... We believe it's an important part of our role, but we are very biased about who we provide that information for. And that's often based on our own understanding of where we think sex should fit, 
um, and who we think is having sex. So for example, if we're working with an elderly couple in rehab, we might not prov provide information on resuming sexual activity because we might think they're too old and they don't have sex. <laughs> um, so actually, I think it's really, really important. We question ourselves. And if, if you're a youth worker, I think it's really important that you have a really good understanding of what has shaped your beliefs mm, around sex. Good. Because what you don't want to do is inadvertently pass those on without realizing that you're even doing it. So perhaps really challenge yourself, what sort of family did I grow up in? What were the messages? What are my stereotypical biases about sex? Um, so sometimes, for example, I will work with a couple um, and I will ask them to explain to me um, how sex normally happens for them. And they may say things like, the wife might say, well, obviously I wait until my husband approaches me. And I will say, that's an interesting word, obviously. What, why is it obvious? Well, of course it is. A woman would never initiate sex. That's really interesting. What, what do you think has led to your belief around mm. that? Well, I grew up in a family and my mum said to me, you know, as a woman, we, you, 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 you wait. You yes. wait and you must, never, you must never appear too forward. Um, so we can hold with us all sorts of stereotypical views and ideas mm. about um, how we think about sex. I call it the, our sexual script. Yes, yeah. And it's important to challenge that. And I think as a youth worker, it's really important to challenge your sexual script, to question yourself and make sure that you're not inadvertently um, feeding in your own biases based yes. on your upbringing. On the bias of the wider the church. Of, I think often yeah. as youth workers, we, yeah. we have our own sexual script we're dealing with and then we're trying to pick up subliminally yeah. what the sexual script of this institution around us might be. And one of the big fears is that if in the youth group you start talking about sex, my kid will go and have sex. So yeah. I don't want you talking about sex. Yeah. And I, I think we're moving away from that because parents are realising and waking up to the fact that it's all around, there's, yes. you know, on, on social media and all the rest of it. But I think you're absolutely right. A youth worker helping a church face the reality of some of the negatives in the sexual script like that's quite a key role for youth workers so I think thinking how can you help the wider church yeah. talk more positively and constructively about this and how many times they heard a sermon in the church about sex or sexuality yeah. is quite tough isn't it Emma we could chat forever these little cakes are calling to me I know they're calling to you <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're going to stop the conversation there but if people want to get hold of your book you're called Emma Waring W-A-R-I-N-G is that yes, that's right that's right yeah and your book is called Seasons of Sex and Intimacy and people can get hold of it through Amazon or you've got a wonderful website so if you just type in I did this last night to Google her Emma Waring the book it comes up with your website and people can see the work that you do and, and order a copy of your book Emma thank you so much for your time and for your, your wisdom and for believing that this is something that actually the Christian community needs to hear because we do so all the best with your book thank you you've escaped podcast what so brilliant stuff there, Rachel, uh, with Emma uh, in the shard, <laughs> not the park, not the park Praise bench. the Lord, praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, there's a big question for me around sex and how we talk to young people about it mm. in church and whether that has shifted over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and uh, because it, we do talk often about the shifts in, in the last decade or so, don't we? But I do think things have significantly altered mm. um, from maybe when 
you know, we were either first involved in, in youth mm. ministry as leaders or even before that as young people, um, back before the dawn of time itself. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I think there's a, there's a difference in the atmosphere, in the temperature, in the way we talk about sex and what we're prepared to ask of young people, mm. what we think we can get them to agree to mm-hmm. in terms of like limits and, and boundaries. I think that's all changed. I think it's all shifted. Mm. Um, there is a there is a mischievous part of me that wonders whether we have become so preoccupied, in, like really importantly, so occupied by the conversation around sexuality mm. and gender over the last decade. And I wonder whether the conversation around sex has got a bit lost sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, well, no, I, I think you're right. There's a butt in there. And um, I'd say even more, it's about relationships. That's what young people are not having conversations mm. about. So the Centre for Social Justice did a piece of research last year, online bit of research, and they found that 74% or something like that, don't quote me on that, lovely people, but it's quite a high percentage of young people, anonymously online, said that what they really want help is... It's around relationship dynamics. Mm. dynamics. The stuff that we think, oh, that's not really that interesting anymore because actually we talk about gender and sexuality and non-binary. But actually for the average young person who is even maybe also asking about non-binary and sexuality, they still want to know about mm. relations. Like, how do I know if this is love? How do I know if I can trust her or him? And, and what does intimacy mean? And how do you end a relationship? And, and what does it mean if I've not ever met them in person but I think I've got connections? So I think you're absolutely right. Some of that kind of stuff that we've taken for granted we need to kind of dig that up again and and revisit it what staggered me uh, in the summer i went to a well-known youth festival with a group of young people and the speaker there on the main stage did a talk around uh sex and uh it's a talk that he has famously done a few times in the past and what what was the staggering part was that young people in my group were saying we have genuinely never heard this wow we have genuinely never heard that you can wait, that actually uh, sexual delay is a thing. Um, they, they just haven't heard it, you know, and, and, and I don't point the finger particularly at uh, our youth worker. I'm sure he's done stuff on that and they've missed those sessions. Um, but, uh, but it's just interesting to me that there were people there and, and in other groups as well who said, um, you know, we didn't really realise that this was an option. This feels new to us. And actually, it didn't feel scary. It was like, oh, mm. interesting. Mm. Interesting. So sex could be better mm. because sex is a good thing. Sex would be better if we didn't have it with lots of people. And actually, it's interesting what Emma picks up in the interview that millennials are having less sex. So it is really interesting that at a time when probably globally millennials mm. are having mm. less sex, the idea that you delay sex or choose to have sex later could actually be an active choice as opposed to just a consequence of being more online there being more pornography um and that that's an interesting that yeah. we that, that we're not making those things i also think that young people are hearing the messages but until it hits kind of a saturation point a tipping point it doesn't feel like um it's plausible right so there's a plausibility line isn't it that a youth worker can be saying this for a long time but the moment ten thousand young people are hearing it from one person and they're all seeming to adhere to it yeah there's a plausibility factor isn't yeah. There? yeah yeah and then they talk to each other afterwards and they mm. say oh mm. oh it might oh so it's so yes, we don't just all have to. Yeah. So, so, so I think porn has told a, a lot of lies to yeah. our culture and to yeah. young people. Remember, young people are looking at porn even earlier than we yeah. like to yeah. think they are, yeah. um, or, or hate to think they are, and um, and and so that's where they're learning a lot of their values mm. around sex and relationships. Mm. And porn is horrendous in mm. terms of in terms of those values. 
We, um, we, you know, the other big thing in culture around this um, youth culture is this uh, Love Island program. I'm going to sound like an old man now. Have you ever seen Love I Island? Know, yes, so yes. I've never seen yes. Love Island. I'll, I'll be totally honest. Oh. The whole idea of it. Oh, you got to watch an episode. But there. it looks it's like you know those awful um, dr- dr- reality drama mm. things, like The Only Way Is Essex mm. and that sort of thing. Oh, it looks it like, is. Oh, looks it like is. that. It's but that on, and Big Brother and it's yeah. all on an island and yeah. And I can't. I can't bear those people, mm. if I'm honest. I mean, I'm sure they're lovely and Jesus loves them, but mm. I don't want to watch them of an evening. So uh, so there's this thing, Love Island, anyway. And it's a bit of a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's a massive phenomenon. And as phenomenon. I understand it, it is quite interestingly indicative of how our culture's views on sex have changed. Absolutely. And there's been co- like contemporary kind of advice have come out of it, like sex and relationship um, gurus have said, this episode is this and this, that. And I think it has absolutely shaped people's views on gaslighting and all that kind of stuff come out of this. And am I right in thinking people, because I don't know this, people go on the island and then they do have sex with each other. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that that feels like the fact that that, that anyone other than Channel 4 late Mm. at night would actually televise a a show, that that marks a massive shift Mm. in culture. You know, if in the early seasons of Big Mm. Brother there'd been a hint that a couple were actually sleeping together and the producers knew I about know, it. I know, it was just that a shock. But yeah. interestingly, Martin, the couples having sex is the least interesting thing on Love Island. Mm, and Because and I think, again, it's what's really interesting and what really gets people hooked is just a little interplay between she said this to him and he said that and he's been two-facing her and he's been... Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely fascinating. So the sex bit is the least interesting. I mean, obviously you don't see it, but it's mm. the least interesting bit to the contestants and to the viewer. Mm. So it's, it, it is... You need, I think you need to watch a couple of episodes because it does absolutely demonstrate this idea that what millennials are struggling with the most is kind of conversation and communication and emotional intimacy. Yeah. And, and, and it gets back to that thing you were mm. talking about, about what they're crying out for is mm. relationship, talking about relationships. Yeah, being safe and how to cherished do and held, yeah. Mm. So, the reason I bring that up is Ooh. because the uh, second annual Youthscape St. Melitus College Lecture Ooh. is on its way, uh, and it's on the 25th of March uh, at St. Melitus College, and it's called... Marooned on Love Island. It's your idea of hell, isn't it? Yeah, marooned. Well, it isn't because I don't know. I might love it. Marooning Martin. I might love Love Island. Island. (laughs) I don't know. But marooned on Love Island has the church lost its way? The emerging sexual ethics of young people. Um, And so we've given ourselves a a number of subtitles for that. I like it. And so um, you are one of the speakers. I am. And uh, and so is the Reverend Dr. Sean Doherty uh, from St. Melitus College, uh, who is an expert like you in this area. Uh, in sexual ethics and so that is going to be a fascinating evening mm. we had the first one uh, this year on digital culture and young people but the speakers uh, some of them were good no you were great you were brilliant, uh, brilliant. and then uh, and then this next one uh, is on the 25th of March 5.45 is the start time I think there might be like a cup of a cup of wine I'll bring my bottle of Prosecco I think you get a complimentary glass of mm. wine if you turn up at 5.45 oh, fantastic and it is completely free mm. um, so well worth going and they've got a lovely venue there um, St Melitus College in London uh, and you'll find out all about it on our website at youthscape.co.uk slash lecture we're going to do the shout out list yes. in a different way yes, this okay. week okay so I'm going to give you the first name. Yes. And you're going to give me the last name. Okay. Oh no, because I can't pronounce it. Come on then. So uh, the shout out is Dan. Randall. Westy and. Connor. Nazarene College. And the Youth Ministry Cohort. And here we go. Big moment for everybody. Sarah. Figueroa! Woo, 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 woo! 
That was a proper shout out. That was. Like painful to listen to. Ow. Uh, you can sponsor us if you would like to. We'd like you to. To be honest, it would be a good way of knowing how many listeners we have. <laughs> it's our way of taking your pulse. Yes. So uh, you, do, you get extras. You get stuff sent to you. I think, I think once. Am I allowed to say this? Once they got sent the new Usegate resource that had just been made. They did. Like in the post. Yes, they did. Just got I sent think it. That is, I mean, that's So ka-ching, it's worth ka-ching. it. Your, your buy-in is, yes. is the Stop. price of a Corner Shop Mars bar, I think we've established. Uh, Patreon.com, we spelt it last week, forward slash Youthscape. And if you would sponsor us for just a dollar a month, that would be a huge encouragement to us and help us to do things like this podcast. We will see you soon. Enough of a burp to be funny. <laughs> I'm not a windy person. You know. Not at all. People, people say that. At Holiday Club, my nickname was Farty Marty because it rhymes. But <laughs> I, the truth of it is, I'm probably the least windy man you've ever met. Butt cheeks. What?